Last week we, we looked at verses 18 through 20. And as I was looking at the text last week, um, I, I focused a lot, or at least at least in the emphasis of it, I was trying to, maybe not necessarily in time, but on the reconciliation work in verse 20. And through him and to him to reconcile all things, while in heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. And when I realized, when I was looking at that text, I realized I didn't spend a whole lot of time in that last phrase, which is very important, it's very unique. Um, Paul, this is kind of one of the, the, the only places where he speaks about Christ's work on the cross in this way. It's the only place where he talks about in, the blood of his cross being together, blood and cross. Usually it's either the blood or the cross, but he put it together here. But this whole idea of, he's saying, how does he reconcile? By making peace by the blood of the cross. But let's, let's read the text just for context sake, and then we'll, 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 we'll discuss this a little bit today. Verse 15, let's start there. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or in earth, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. And that is the word of the living God. And I pray that it would minister to our souls this hour. Paul uses, as I said, a very unique way to introduce this idea, this, this concept of the cross or his atoning work. Never before has there been a greater time for a need of peace. And so today what I want us to focus on is this idea of peace. And, and this is a table of peace that sits before us. And we can only have peace because of what this table represents here. And here he says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, he says that this is how he made peace. He made peace through a bloody, violent work on a cross. And he did that for our soul's sake and for our eternal sake. As I said before, there's never really been a greater time for us to, um, to need to discuss or need to understand that God has his, in His plan peace for us. And here's the reason why I, I, I say that. I say that because we, we live in a culture of fear. We live in a culture where there's, there's phobias for everything. And, and as I was looking on the Internet, and that's always a little dangerous, but when I was looking on the Internet for a list of phobias, I came up with you know, some of the typical ones. that there's, uh, you know, People have a phobia of heights. Um, in Chicago, at, uh, you, most people are still refer to it as a Sears Tower. It's the technical name is the Willis Tower now because they got bought out, but everyone still calls it the Sears Tower. At the Sears Tower, they put these sky ledges up there, and uh, there's these basically these glass boxes that protrude out of the top of the Sears Tower, and you can walk out onto this ledge. And I've done it a few times, and you have this glass floor beneath you, and this glass all the way around. And so you look down, and you you just see, you see tiny little cars. (laughs) 
and, and like little, little specks called people walking around. And, you know, I, I thought, because when, when I thought, when I first went out there, I thought, oh, that's not going to be the big of a deal. And so I went up to the edge and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I had to get, you know, my wife is there. She'll tell me, uh, she'll tell you, she, you know, I had to kind of coach myself out onto to the ledge. And it's so funny watching people do that. Well, well, why do people have a hard time with that? Well, because there's a very common fear of heights. Or, or people are claustrophobic and fear of uh, uh, small, enclosed areas. Uh, fear of public speaking is one of the most common uh, uh, phobias that there are. Then there's some other ones that, you know, kind of, I, 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 there's actual phobias. I looked it up for this. Uh, fear of forest. Or fear of belly buttons. Um, fear of the number 666. Fear of cats. Fear of teenagers. Some of you like got that one. Um, fear of clowns. I have that a little. Um, fear of cemeteries. Fear of ugliness. I just accepted it a long time ago. Um, fear of gravity. I didn't understand that. Um, and then there's one that maybe you have, and there's actually a phobia, the fear of sermons. So, now my point, I want to be very clear, my point isn't to make fun of or poke, at, or poke fun at people who struggle with fear, and particularly some of these things. Those are real feelings that they have, and so my point isn't to, to point and mock that. I'm just saying that we have phobias for everything. I just want to highlight the fact that fear is a huge part of our culture. And I want to ask the question, is that how God intended us to live? And you, you answered correctly. God did not intend us to live in a spirit of fear. Because we saw in verse 20, He made peace by the blood of His cross. So when you see this table here, you see this is a table of peace. Let's walk through this real quickly. It's going to be more topical in nature on this idea of peace rather than expositional from this text. Number one, as you're taking notes, if you want to write this down, the first point this morning is your peace is part of God's plan. Number one, your peace is part of God's plan. God has a desire for all of us to have peace, and it's amazing if you look throughout the New Testament, you'll see how much the this, this subject of peace comes across. In fact, it's actually one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? And so we see that God has a desire for us as believers, us as individuals, us as humans to experience peace. But apart from Christ, apart from this table here, it is very difficult for us to have true peace. But because of what Christ has done for us, this is part of God's plan for us. Now, peace with what? What are we talking about here? We have three ideas here of about peace first of all peace with god peace with god romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says therefore since you have been justified we have been justified we have peace with god so that's the first area there i think it's going to be on the screen romans chapter 5 verse 1 peace with god is where God wants us to have peace with Him. And, and, and that is an amazing thing because, because think about this. We are of, of, of our natural birth. We are not considered to be part of God's family or God's children right away. I said just a few minutes ago that no one is naturally born into God's family. All of us are adopted into God's family. And it's more than just that. We are born 
not neutral, but we are born enemies of God because of our sin. And so because of our sinfulness, because of who we are, because of the fact that we are enemies of God, the idea of having peace with God should really just be an amazing thought that God, because of Christ, because of this table right here, we can have peace with God. And, and, and that should, should be something that we long for. That should be something that we desire because everyone knows our sinfulness. Everyone knows that, that, that we, are, we do not measure up to the standard of perfection. I think everyone would agree to that. So if we don't, if we don't measure up to the standard of perfection, then either God's got to lower His standard or we have no hope. Or the third option. Christ comes on the cross. And by the blood of His cross, He makes peace. And we can have peace with God Almighty. Could you imagine always wondering if God was upset at you? Now some people do live their lives that way. Some people, they live in the lives of, uh, of wondering if God is ready to judge them or ready to, to condemn them. And, and, I, and if you're here today and you're struggling with that, can I, can I just plead with you and just say, that is why Christ came. Christ came so that, and He died on the cross, just like this is going to symbolize here, of the broken body, and He rose again. He did it so that, according to Romans 5, verse 1, we could have peace with God. But it's not just for the unbeliever who might be here today. It's for the believer who might be here today. That God can have peace, that you can have peace with God on a daily basis, an experiential peace. How many of us have struggled with sin this last week? How many of us have fallen short of our own goals, our own ideas this last week? How many of us have struggled or fall short of what God's standard says? And, and, and we battle this like in Romans 7, this, this, the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things that I do, those are the things that I don't want to do. And, and we have this struggle back and forth. And how many times have you confessed a sin to God? And you said, God, you know, I sinned. I sinned. Please forgive me. And in your heart and your soul, you're very sincere. You're like, help me never to do this again. I never want to do this again. I never want to look at that again. I never want to say that again. I never want to act this way again. I never want to do this again. And the next day, what do you do? The exact same thing again. You go before God and you say, God, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. I did this. Would you please forgive me? And then like the next hour, something happens again. God, it's me again. <laughs> How many of you like to live your life wondering if every time is God at, are you at peace with God? Is he holding that against you? See, the good news, my brothers, my sisters, my good news the good news of the message of the gospel of Christ here is that we can have peace with God. When you're struggling at work and you're like, oh, I just lost my testimony. I just lost my temper. You can go back. You need to apologize. You need to make it right with whoever you, made it, you, know, you sinned against. But the good news of the cross is that you don't go back to a heavenly father who is angry with you. You go back to a father, a heavenly father, who is, who is willing to forgive you, but has already forgiven you because of the blood of the cross. That's the good news. Now, Paul anticipates our own sinfulness in Romans 6. 
He says, well, okay, so there's grace here. So shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? So if this is really good, God's grace is a good deal. And it comes because when I sin, I should probably sin some more so God's grace can be highlighted more, right? And he says, you idiot, no. Okay, that's in the Greek, okay? He says, he says no. He says, God forbid. No, that is not because you're missing the point. Because you're, you're, you're taking the design of grace... And you're, you're missing the whole point of it. The whole point of grace, the design of grace, is to change us to be more like Christ. And the, the grace that we receive, that, that, that peace flows from, that we can get because of God's work on the cross, that causes us to hate sin more because it, it, it is something that, that, that violates God's standard. And so we have this idea here that we can have peace with God because of the cross. That's good news, my friend. That God, when we go to bed at night, when we pray, when we look at God, we understand that as sinful as we are, if Christ's blood has covered us, God does not see our sin. He sees Christ. And God is at complete peace with Christ. That's an amazing thought. That his righteousness gets put on us. So not only do we have peace with God, but we also have, we can have peace with each other. Okay? And we see a couple of verses that are going to be on the screen here in a second there about this idea of having peace with one another. And how that we really should be longing for this idea of getting along with one another. It's interesting, as you go through the New Testament, you see a lot of times in Paul's writings, he basically just says, get along. Like in one writing, or one book as he's writing, he comes to the end of the chapter, or, or towards the end of the book, and he says, okay, by the way, this is in First Timothy, by the way, um, you, know, you two ladies, and he calls them out by name. He says, you two ladies, just get along. Just, just, just get along, okay? Uh, it, I don't have the guts to do that. Okay, if I know of a feud going on in here, I'm not going to get up in here and say, you know what, okay, you two, just, just stop it, okay? <laughs> you know? um, I think that there would be some resistance if I did that. You, you, know, you know, Dave and Ann, you guys are fighting way too much. Stop, okay? You know, just, just stop, all right? No, I, I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, but Paul, he did that because he understood and one of the things that he, he, he thought was of highest importance was unity in the church. And you know, we have a lot of changes going on here. You know, we're, we're, we're losing uh, uh, um, uh, Eric and Haley, and that's, that's a change. And there's other changes coming, and things happen. I mean, I came here, that was a change. And, and some things I'm doing, some people you love. I, 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 get, I get fan email, and I get hate email. So, uh, you know, I get people that say, yeah, this is great. And other people say, hey, you know, I might want to do this. I appreciate the feedback, I really do. I understand that, you know, it's change, and it's hard for some people, and I, and I get that. But I want us to always, one thing I'm going to insist on, is I'm going to insist on that we strive for unity. We strive to get along with one another. Romans chapter 12, go ahead and turn to that. Why don't you see that text there, just a few pages back. Romans 12, in verse 18. I want you to see the emphasis of this. It says, if possible... Romans 12, 18. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And you know, there's, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And there's a right way to, uh, uh, to talk about things that you disapprove of or give criticism, whatever like that. And there's a wrong way. The right way is to say, hey, look, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's the reasons why. Do what you want with. The, the wrong way is to insist upon our own will and to attack the person. Uh, in logic, they, they call that an ad hominem, is when instead of attacking the issue of whatever it is, you attack the person. It means to the man. And so you've, you've heard that on the playground a lot, I'm sure, of kids. It just says, you know, you're not a very good basketball player. Well, yeah, you're ugly. Okay? That's an ad hominem, okay? You're attacking the person, okay, rather than the issue, Okay? Now, we wouldn't do that because we're more refined, but we still do ad hominems. We still attack the person rather than the argument or the issue. And what that does is it undercuts peace, right? Instead of dealing with something that we can deal with and working with and working together towards a solution, if we start to slip into this idea of argumentation of attacking the person, then we're not living peaceably with other. Here's another concept. Uh, I shared this with some, uh, some, some other people a little bit ago. Um, often a mistake we often make is we tie our ideas to our identity. And what happens is, is that we give an idea and it's not taken or there's some pushback on it and we feel like we're getting attacked or we feel like we're getting pushed back on. We feel like, like okay, this is something that, that because I presented it and they, they're not taking it, they must not like me. Well, no, no, no that's not the point. The point is that maybe the idea was dumb, but you're not dumb, okay? Um, and so, so, so all I'm saying is that we have so many different ways that living peaceably with others is attacked. And we're by even just to how we interact with one another. So the point of this is that peace is part of God's plan. And God desires for us to live with one another. A couple of references you can write down and look up later on are on the screen there. The third idea of peace that we that is part of God's plan is peace with self. So we have peace with, with God, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. In Philippians chapter 4, we see this. It's in verse 6 it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And, now I love this, in the very context, right after, don't be anxious, pray before God, give everything to God. The result is in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, like I said, we live in a culture of fear and anxiety, and there's a lot of people who are just, their stomach is in knots all the time, and they're worried about what people are going to think of them, or worried about what, what, what people are saying, or worried about impressions, or worried about what people think about their kids, and worry about uh, parenting choices, and whether or not you should, you should go to, uh, you know, do uh, all meat diet, or no meat diet, or whatever the case is, or all these different things. Some people are so, so worked up about this in their own soul of, of whether or not they're going to do the right thing with their kids in homeschool or sometimes in a Christian school or a public school or whatever the case is. And sometimes I just want to say, stop. Peace. It's okay. God's design for your life is, is peace. Peace because of the cross. cross. The cross 
came to be so that we could live at peace. And if we have peace with God, why are we so in knots about ourselves or about different things in our lives? And we're literally told not to be anxious about anything. I think that's one of the hardest commands to obey in all of Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything. And the only reason we can do that, because, you know, I, I think of certain situations where, where I would be pretty anxious about. You know, I mentioned in my prayer, someone's home burned. We had a friend a couple years ago, their home burned. I got a call about midnight, my friend Pat, and he called me up and I said, uh, I said, hey, Pat, what's going on? Because I kind of figured that something wasn't right. He's called me at midnight. He said, well, we got a little fire at the house. And I said, well, okay, I'm on my way. So I jumped in the car, flew over to his house. When I got about a mile away, I just saw orange glow in the sky. And I pulled up, and it was a complete loss. I mean, everything was up in flames. And you know, as, as, I, as I walked up to the driveway across the street, uh, Pat's wife, Lacey, good friends of ours, she, st- she saw me, I saw her, I just put my arms around her, hugged her, and she burst into tears. She didn't want to cry in front of the kids and all that stuff, but and I just wept with her. What do you do in a situation like that? Do I, do I tell my friend Lacey, okay, don't be anxious about anything here, okay? You know, that's all going to burn one day anyway, you know? You know, it's just sooner, you know, just, you got to see it. You know, so praise God for that. You know, that's not helpful. <laughs> you know, that's not helpful. What do you do in a situation like that? Do we say, don't be anxious about that? Well, no. He says, but everything in prayer and, cl- prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. That's when you just run to Christ. That's when you run to God and say, God, you've given and now you've taken away. And this is hard. This is hard for me. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And would you please guard my heart with your peace? Would you please guard my heart with your peace so that I will not react against you in a wrong way? See, this is the peace that God is talking about. Peace with ourselves. Peace with our, our own soul. And we've got to coach ourselves sometimes. We've got to go back to the Scriptures. And the only thing that will help us in those situations will be the cross. Will be the fact that Christ died for us. And it does not matter what happens to our earthly possessions. It does not matter what happens to anything else because we understand that the one who sovereignly orchestrated the death of his own son for us, he wants our well-being and he will give us peace. And so we don't have to understand the circumstances. We don't have to put on a happy face about them. But we can worship God through them rather than being anxious about it. And so the peace of God that God desires for us. God desires for you to have peace. And so, as we think about this this morning, let me just ask you, is there peace in your soul? Do you have peace? Or is it there's a conscious uh, or a constant anxiety at times? Is there constant friction between you and other people, you and your spouse? Or, or is there always a wondering if God is pleased with you and you're, you're hoping to please God and you're hoping that he's, he's pleased with you? That is not the relationship that God intends. Because of this, because of the cross of Christ, because of the penalty that He paid, then that is put on us and we can have peace with God. And if we can have peace with God, we surely can have peace with each other. And surely we can, we can be at rest or at peace in our own soul. 
But it's already on the screen. You see, secondly, your peace is almost always under attack. Your peace is almost always under attack. There's several enemies with this. Well, who's the first enemy? Well, the first enemy that comes to mind, enemy number one, is Satan and company. Satan and his helpers. We have, we, in the fallen angels, we have this idea that, 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 that according to 1 Peter chapter 5, won't turn there, you can just write it down, that Satan, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One of the ways that Satan wants to attack you and wants to attack me is to rob us of the peace that has been granted to us by the cross. Because if he can keep us in a, in a tizzy, if he can keep us in this idea of where we, we're always wondering if God is pleased with us, we're always wondering what God thinks of us or what other people think about us, and then if he can get our minds in that state of frame, or in that, uh, in that state of mind, if he can get us there, then we are not serving God, then we are not glorifying God, and that's exactly where he wants us. And so the obvious enemy of, of our peace is Satan. Satan does not want you to be at peace with God. Satan does not want you to be at peace with your uh, spouse. Whenever Anouk and I get a chance to go away on vacation, or uh, maybe it's just the two of us or whatever, sometimes even just if we're going out for dinner, the two of us, I, I almost always, and I had to learn this the hard way, is I just pray for peace on our date. You think, wait a minute here. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Why is that such a concern, Jeremy? Well, here's the reason why. It's happened too many times to us where we we say, we're we're going to talk about our marriage. We're going to work on our marriage, and we want to glorify God in this. And so so we're going to go to a restaurant, and and, we start talking things. And then I say something or whatever, my wife bursts into tears. And, and so now it's a really awkward scene in the restaurant. And so, you know, the waitress keeps coming by. Are you okay? Should I call the police? <laughs> you know, and so, and so, you know, and then it looks like, you know, no, I'm fine and everything. And we're arguing about something or whatever. And then I usually say something, you know, really helpful like, well, this was an expensive day, expensive fight. We could have done this for free at home. Uh, and so, you know. <laughs> Uh, don't do that. Um, so, why does it seem to happen? Well, Nook and I figured it out that it seems that whenever we want to work on our marriage, Satan loves to attack it. Satan loves to attack that. Because if we have a healthy marriage, it's going to glorify God. Anything that glorifies God, Satan, Satan he, he's against. And so, so we, we try, we try to remember to pray for that. And I remember there's been several times where, you know, we've gotten back after, you know, we've prayed beforehand, Lord, help us to be good, and, and we've just had a great time. And we get into their driveway, and we're like, yes! <laughs> you know, we made it! <laughs> you know? We get along real well, but it seems like whenever we want to focus on our marriage or focus on something, Satan attacks that. Satan attacks our peace. Satan will, will, will bring things into your mind. Satan will bring circumstances. And Satan will, will love to get you to not be at peace. Because here's the thing. Not only just with, with each other, but, but, but with God. If you're constantly fighting those doubts about whether or not you're at peace with God or whether or not God is happy with you or you're measuring up to God's standards, you can understand that that's, an enemy of the, that's a strategy of the enemy. Because if, if you're constantly worried about God in his view of you, and if you're measuring up, you're not trusting in this. You're not trusting in the cross. And that's where Satan wants you. He wants you running around. 
And so I, I just implore you to understand the enemy, understand his strategy, and understand that, that your peace is under attack and you run back to the cross and you go back to Christ and you say, God, I have no reason to be in a good standing with you. I have none whatsoever, but because of the cross, because of Christ, because of what he did for me, I have peace by the blood of the cross, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. That's what we do. We run right back to that. So the first enemy is Satan and company. The second enemy is, um, is, our, is our self, or is that number three? I've got to go look at my own notes here. Uh, yeah, enemy number two is self. Enemy number two is self. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, verse 20 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right not the ability to carry it out. For I do, not do this, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What he's saying there is he's saying the things I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I'm not doing, those are things that I want to do. And we have this, this enemy, because what he's talking about here is he's talking about our flesh. He's talking about, about who we are. In Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter, chapter two and verse eleven, it says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul." You and I have in, lurking inside each of us. We have the flesh that is being put to death, that was that was positionally put to death in justification by Christ, but in our sanctification process, we're getting there to where we'll eventually be glorified. And so God is working in this, and so we have this old man that's being put to death, and we have this idea of, of our flesh and our sin nature that we constantly battle with, and that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7 there. And our peace is under attack by our own soul. Our peace is under attack by our own responses, our own sinfulness. Our peace is under attack by, by the fact that the matter is that, or the fact that sometimes when, when someone says something against us, then what do we want to do? We want to lash out right back at them. It disrupts peace. Why do we want to do that? Because we view it as a right. So we have our rights are being infringed upon. And please do not infringe upon my rights. And if you do, I'm going to come back at you. And I'm going to come back hard. And I'm going to come back. And I don't care what this does to our relationship at this moment. Because you infringed upon my right. And it's just an attack on peace. And the whole purpose that we saw, of one of the purposes of the cross, was bringing peace, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so when we respond incorrectly, when we, we, we let our flesh just do what it wants to do, according to Romans 7, it attacks the peace that God has intended for us to have. The last enemy that we struggle against is our surroundings. So enemy number three is surroundings. So we have Satan, we have self, and we have surroundings. And that's our culture. We really do live in a culture of fear. And we talked about it a little bit in the introduction. We talked about how that, that um, uh, there's a lot of fears, a lot of phobias. But you see, but, but I, 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 want, I want to give you a homework assignment, okay? I want you to see if how much fear you can see in our culture. Okay, let, me, let me give you a couple, let me give you a couple freebies, okay? Um, in, in some of these commercials, and they're, and they're funny. They're really funny. Uh, the, you guys ever seen the Allstate commercials, you know, the chaos, okay? You can raise your hand. It's okay. It's not during the song. Um, so some of you, yeah, I knew some of you would get that. Um, so, um, 
But, uh, okay, the Allstate commercials, the, the chaos and things like that. The one guy, you know, he's down in the basement, and he's all dressed up or whatever, and uh, he's, like, holding a pipe, and he's like, you know, you may think that I'm a hot water tank, but I'm really a time bomb waiting to go off. And, you know, or the one guy dunks the basketball, and the rim comes back and crashes the car. Or my favorite, the guy's showing a video. He's recording himself working out in the garage. He does a spin kick to kick the, the bag that's in it, but he hits the beam, and the whole thing falls onto the car and all this stuff. And all this is about insurance, right? And they're, they're funny, okay? They're, they're really funny. What's, what's selling insurance at that point in that commercial? Fear. This will happen to you, or this could happen to you. I mean, you think you got a hot water tank? It's a bomb, brother. <laughs> For seventeen ninety five a month, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That bomb can go off. We'll cover you, okay? Right? Think about it. I, now, am I saying, you know, is this wrong? Is this like, you know, that curse comes, oh, turn that thing off. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is that we really are ruled by fear a lot. We're ruled by fear. Think about this. In our culture, fear makes so, helps us make so many decisions. Or we make a lot of decisions based on fear. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? And so all I'm saying in this is that our enemy is our surroundings, our culture. We are constantly, it's so easy for us to think in terms like our culture. But I loved, I loved what we just read earlier in First Peter. Be sojourners in exiles. You know, the way we live in this world here, on this earth, we really should just kind of have a curiosity. We really should just, because we're not of this world. We have, we're, we're citizens of another country. And so we should kind of look and see, almost like a, hmm, that's how they do that here. Hmm. It's kind of like you go to a different country. You go to a different country, you visit a different country, and they do things differently. The laws are different. Sometimes they drive on the opposite side of the road and things like that. You, you go to England, and you go on the road there. You don't stand in the middle of it and say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute here. Everyone move over. <laughs> Everyone move over. This is the right way to do it. What you do is say, well, that's, that's kind of odd, you know. Uh, wow, they, you know, they, they drive differently. They do things differently here. You just accept it as part of who they are, but it doesn't define who you are. You don't come back to Wisconsin and say, I really like what they did. <laughs> you don't do that, right? Because that's not who you are, right? That's not where you live, okay? We're citizens of another country. And so the way we see the world works and this, this whole idea of fear, this whole idea of, uh, of letting it drive us, that really should be more of a, Huh, that's how they do that there. In my country, we don't do that. My country, the cross has granted me peace in all of my life, in every aspect of my life. And so your peace is almost always under attack. Lastly, this morning, your peace, I've been, talk, I've been going back to this, your peace is only possible because of the cross. Peace always comes with a cost. You can't have peace without some sort of cost because there needs to be forbearance, there needs to be love covering sin. There's got to be something that is paid for. If we're sinners and so we're never going to be in perfect peace with each other, but if, if there's an argument between you and your spouse or you and your kids or whatever the case may be or your siblings, whatever it is, you have to, you have to apologize to each other because that's what we do. We have to ask for forgiveness and we should. 
But in order for that, re- that, 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 that relationship to be reconciled and peace to be restored, there has to be a cost. And that cost is when your spouse or your children don't hold it against you of what you did. They, they say, love's going to cover this. I'll forbear with this. And so for the sake of peace, sometimes we just forbear with one another. For the sake of peace, we just put up with one another. And that's one thing I, I, I really hope for our church here is that, that we just learn to kind of forbear with one another. And we need to help each other out and things, and we need to encourage one another and instruct one another. I get all that. But sometimes, sometimes we just need to be willing to, to, to just forbear with one another. Maybe some of you older uh, uh, parents and your kids are, are grown, and you see some of us younger parents with our kids, that, and we're just trying to survive, and uh, uh, you say, you know what, when I, when I was your age, I, you know, my kid, they didn't think of running in the church. Didn't think of it. My daughter's going to run in the church. I'm sorry. You know, so if that vexes you, I, I'm very sorry, and I will do my best, but, but, you know, just forbear with me. Overlook my faults. And I'm going to overlook your faults. Because that's the peace of the cross. The cross says we don't, we don't get worked up about all these little things. And I don't have any, any specific example there. That's not the reason why I brought that up. No one has said anything to me about my daughter running in the church, okay? That was just an example I brought up. I always feel like I need to clarify that. But the point is, is that peace comes with a cost. Now, the second point here, letter B in our outline, is that the cost or peace's cost is determined by the violation. Okay, so if this, the, the issue is, let's say, that someone was upset with my daughter running in the church, well, that's a minor thing. And so for peace, I can just say, look, I'm really sorry. I, I, I'm really sorry. I'll do better. Peace is restored. Okay? Now, but for a more egregious violation, if my daughter got a hold of my keys and walked by your car and said, oh, I'm going to draw Curious George on the side of your car with Daddy's keys, okay? And we see this, you know, scratch. Well, in order for peace to be resolved, it's going to take a little bit more. And that's where my Allstate insurance comes into, <laughs> into play here, okay? All right? And so, and so we, 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 there's a cost associated with that, right? You get where I'm going. When our peace, what violated our peace with God was our sinfulness and, and, and just a, a tremendous uh, affront to God in His character, well, you can, see, you can see that we need much more. There's much more cost there. You've got to understand that your sin was so bad, it cost the Son His life. But you've got to also understand that he gave it willingly. And he conquered sin and he conquered death. So the only way you can have peace is really through the cross or because of the cross. And then the last idea, let us see. Peace is sustained by God. Peace is sustained by God. You see that in the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. We see this idea of that peace will be only, we can only continue to have peace with God because of who He is and His character, and that He will not go back on His word. And that He has promised to, to give us peace and He has promised to forgive us. And so, therefore, we can have peace with Him and peace with each other and peace in our own soul's sake. 
and it's sustained by God. So when we see Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that he reconciled all things to himself, whether in heaven or in earth, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. And so as we approach the table, understand that this peace should rule our lives. We see that in, in Colossians uh, uh, chapter 2, I think it is, or chapter 3, how it's the peace of Christ rules our, our hearts and our minds. And so as we come to this table, understand that this table gives us peace with God and peace with each other. Koinonia is the word for communion, the Greek word for communion. That's why it's called a communion table sometimes. Is that you're saying, you're saying, you're publicly saying, I am at fellowship with my brothers and my sisters. This is, this is God's accountability program right here. It's saying, yeah, I am, I, am, I, am, I am okay with my brothers and my sisters here. And there's peace in our own souls as we understand that that only comes by understanding that we have been forgiven. So that's what's going on in this table here. Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the, the people who will serve us to, to come forward. Father, I, I do pray that we would be ruled by peace. When we come to the table, we are reminded of the peace that should rule our lives. And so as we come to this table now, Lord, we do pray that Lord, we do pray that you would be honored and you'd be glorified. And we do pray that we would be reminded again of how great you are in the gospel of, of Christ and how that we really have no hope apart from Christ, apart from the work of the cross. And when Paul wrote that in Colossians 1.20, you, he was telling us that this is how you made peace possible. And so for that, we say thank you and we worship you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.